Well, good morning. Everybody stayed up late on New Year's Eve, didn't they? Let's try it again. Good morning. So I, Alan told me this morning, he's like, you get to preach on the smaller stage. And I looked around and I was like, oh, is all the tape up here to see if I touch each one of these tape markers by the end of the sermon? And he was like, well, there's somebody that can do it. I believe it's you. So we're going to keep the camera guy on their toes. Uh, but if you would, please, uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to kick it old school this morning. There's, there's not going to be anything up on the, on the projector screens. If you've got your Bible, turn with me. If you've got your phone, you can do it. But I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 2 and then stand as we read God's word. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have saw his star in, when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes and the people, he inquired where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will be a shepherd to my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he said to them, he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may go and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him, opening their treasures. They offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed on the, to their own country another way. Verse 13. Now... When they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remaining there until the death of Herod, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken of his prophet. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed the male children in Bethlehem and in the surrounding region who were two years old and under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then it was fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Verse 19, but when Herod died, behold, the angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought your child's life are dead. And he rose and he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I don't know about you, but uh, the holidays are an interesting time. And uh, if I had to describe our holidays this year, it would be um, that nothing went as planned. Um, so my wife and I and our kids, we, we went to New Hampshire to see her mom. Her mom lives there. And uh, Laura's sister, Sarah, and her husband, Jimmy, and their kids came from uh, Hawaii to be there for the holidays. And we got there and uh, 
before we left, we looked at the forecast and her mom says, hey, I've gotten a bunch of snow stuff for the kids because we're in Texas and, and snow stuff, who needs that stuff here? Um, you, you don't. I mean, in New England, you have like eight coats, five pair of boots, three hats, two sets of socks. You know, it, it's crazy. So we get there because we're supposed to get a whole bunch of snow. So we show up in boots and, and stuff on the airplane. We get off and there's no snow. Well, that wasn't the way it was supposed to go. So we get there, and then the day after we get there, I get sick. I get the flu. That wasn't the way it was supposed to go. And then Laura's mom gets the flu. That's the way it's not supposed to go. And then Laura gets the flu, and then Sarah gets the flu, and then Jimmy gets the flu. That's not the way it's supposed to go. And then Sarah's supposed to cook green bean casserole. And instead of Sarah cooking green bean casserole, Laura's cooking green bean casserole. That's not the way it's supposed to go. And then we lose power for a day. That's not the way it was supposed to go. So on and so forth. Today, I want you to take one thing from this passage of Scripture, is that with God... That statement, it's never, it wasn't supposed to go that way, never happens. There is no plan B with God. He is faithful to his promises from the beginning to the end. And the more times I look in the New Testament, the more times I find myself having to go back to the Old Testament. And today we're going to look at that. We're going to look at three different prophecies that are fulfilled here in the New Testament that were prophesied directly from the Old Testament. So the first thing we see is after the, you know, the silent night, the holy night, all is calm, all is bright. I don't know where they got that theology for that Christmas, Carol. But anybody that has kids can go, I, that is not, hardly ever happened. All is calm, all is bright. Also, if you're the shepherds in Bethlehem, all was not calm and all was not bright. Well, everything was bright at that point. Okay, this is, we're, there are so many things taking place leading up to the birth of Jesus, to the child that had been foretold, to the redemption of the people Israel, to the redemption of those who would believe in Jesus. And it doesn't stop at the birth of the child. It keeps going. Because we have these guys. It says, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there were wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, if you're Herod, you're going, this is not how this was supposed to go. Who in the world are these guys coming from who knows where, saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? And if you're Herod, you're like, uh, hello, that's me. Also, if you know anything about Herod, he was a little bit of a, um, he liked himself a lot. Okay, uh, a lot. And so they show up, and there's all kinds of things that happen here um, <laughs> So they, they show up, they said, we've, we've been following this star, we've come here, and, it says, and King Herod, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Now that could have been for many different reasons. One, if Herod is troubled, all of Jerusalem is going to be troubled with him, because Herod was a troubling individual. Also, the star was probably a little bit troubled, because if the wise men could see this star that was abnormal in the sky, so could everyone else. Now, the wise men understood what was happening, but not a whole lot of other people that were at least recorded knew exactly what was going on. And if anybody at that time thought that it might have been a comet or something, comets were never really um, signs of, uh, you know, happiness and joy. They tended to bring doom and gloom. So everybody's troubled. And then they, uh, Herod assembles the chief priests and the scribes and he asks and it says, and you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for from you will come a ruler who is the shepherd of his people Israel. Okay, now this 
is a direct quote from Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 6. So here's, if you're okay with me, and for those of you online, I apologize. We're going to do a little uh, audience participation here. Is there someone that's willing to read Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5? If you are, just go ahead and look it up, stand up, read it nice and loud. If you're not, that's okay. I'll read it from here. But um, just to prove that I'm not making it up. Okay, can you read verse 2 through (laughs) 5? Micah 5, 2 through 5. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Ephrathah, yep. Through you are small among the clans of Judah, and out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are of old from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of Okay, thank you very much. So right here in Micah chapter five, if we turn there, you can see that it's a direct quote. He says, and you, okay, and you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who will be ruler of Israel, whose coming is forth is from old, from ancient times. So he references specifically the town of Bethlehem and Ephrathah, and he says, though you're small, there's gonna come one from me. And then how does he describe that one ruler? In verse four of Micah, he says, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Who did the angels visit around Bethlehem? Shepherds. Who was this ruler supposed to be? A shepherd. And then what does Jesus claim to be in John chapter 10? The good shepherd. See, from the beginning, there was no plan B. It was supposed to happen exactly this way. And Bethlehem was an integral part of it. There was no other town possibly named Bethlehem. I don't know if you guys uh, are a product of um, the church in the 90s and 2000s like I was. But back in those days, um, there was a musical that was written uh, by a very, it, it featured a very famous Christian artist at the time. Maybe you've heard of him. His name is Michael Tate. Anybody know who Michael Tate is? Yeah. Okay. He played a character, and it was, what if Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania? Now, living in Pennsylvania myself around Scranton, the fact that Bethlehem, Pennsylvania was somewhere in, somebody was talking about it, it was kind of cool. It was like, oh, Bethlehem? And then when the office came out and Scranton was talked about, it was even cooler because that was closer to where we lived. But the idea of, it was not Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. It was supposed to be Bethlehem in the tribe of Judah. And he was supposed to come and he was supposed to be a shepherd. So that's the first thing we see. So then we have this, and and Herod summons the wise men, and he tries to pull a fast one on the wise men. He says, oh, when you go and you find the baby, can you tell me where he is so that I may go and worship him too? And if you're watching a Disney movie at this point, you'd go, something's not quite right. (laughs) Something's a little off with this. I don't know that he wants to worship. Maybe worship is not exactly the right word. You know that... 
The princess bride comes up all the time. That word you keep on using, I don't think it means what you think it means. I don't think worship means what you think it means. And it doesn't. So, so after they listened to the king, they went their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest. Now, I don't know if you guys had taken a break from, from reading your scripture and thought, there's some characters in scripture that we don't often pay attention to, and it's creation. See, not only did God design humanity to do something specific, but God designed creation to give him glory from the first day he created it until he's done with it. And it has been doing it every day since then without ceasing. So when Jesus tells the Pharisees, if these people don't cry out, even the rocks will cry out, guess what they were already doing? Crying out. If you take a minute and you look at some of key, pivotal things in scripture, the sky, the stars are doing some pretty crazy things. And I'm not going to go into all that. There's other sources you can find for that. But the star that guided them to Bethlehem was not simply just another random star. It had to do nine specific things according to this passage of scripture. And you can look them up and see what it did. I mean, the fact that it went before them, the fact that it came and stopped, the fact that it came to rest, the fact that it rose, in, that it rose the fact that everybody was troubled, the fact that Herod could find the time the star had appeared. So in other words, it wasn't just, oh yeah, it showed up in the morning. Or, oh yeah, it showed up at night. Like, Orion, the constellation Orion, you can find that one every winter, can't you? This wasn't like that. So here it's doing something crazy. When Jesus died, there's a, there's a guy that did a study of the sky because there's all kinds of models you can run uh, through a computer to see what the sky is doing. When he said, if you were standing, okay, if you're standing on the moon when Jesus died on earth. Remember the sky went what? Went dark. If you were standing on the moon, the earth moves in front of the sun, so it blocks out the sun. Do you happen to know what constellation is behind the earth when the earth goes dark? It's Aries, the constellation of the Lamb. So then you look in Revelation chapter 12 and it says, behold, these things are written, there's a sign written in the stars and it gives two constellations, the constellation of Draco and the constellation of Virgo, which are both in the sky. See, God created his creation to do something specific, to proclaim his glory every step of the way, and it never ceases. Here is the same thing. And then he tells the wise men to go and to worship Jesus. Now, this is where we get the three wise men from. They give three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We don't know how many wise men there were. Actually, there's, no, there's not a tally given. Uh, we know that there were, at, there were three types of gifts. So moving down, after the wise men go, what happens? It says, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph is visited by an angel of the Lord and he's told to name his child Jesus because why? He will save his people from their sins. Then he's visited by an angel of the Lord and he's told to what? He's told to get up in the dead of night and go and flee Israel. Why? Because Herod is gonna destroy the child. 
Now, this is the thing where I feel like for so many years I, I read this or I heard about it and I just kind of, for whatever reason, glossed over it. Where does he go? He goes to Egypt. Does anybody remember what happened in Egypt? They enslaved God's people for 400 years. They escaped the, the, the plagues. Anyone remember all of that? Actually, if you read through, it's really interesting. This is why I believe God is a God of humor. It, we, we talk about the 10 plagues. There were actually 12 um, because the, the magicians, the uh, pharaohs, sorcerers or whatever, recreated the first two plagues on their own people by themselves because they didn't need God. That was their proof for not needing God. We don't need God. Why? Because we can do it ourselves. Check it out. Here comes another plague of blood in the water. And that's when the first committee was ever created. It's quality control. We no longer allow the wise men to go running off and doing these things. Okay, the blood was enough. The, it, it, we're done. Any more plagues come, you're not allowed to recreate them. Okay, we know we don't need God. I'm not sure why that's the logic for it, but that was the logic for it. So here, thousands of years later, right, Egypt, they're, they're sorry, they're, in captivity in Egypt, the last plague is what? It's the angel of death. It's the Passover. And it's at night. And what are the instructions? The instructions were to spread blood on the door frame so that the angel would pass over you and you were to be what? You were to have your shoes on and your staff in hand. Why? Because you need to be ready to go. The angel visits Joseph after the birth in the middle of the night and he says, what? Go. Where? Back down there. Why? To keep the Savior safe. See, God wasn't done with Egypt. God didn't just toss Egypt to the side after everything that happened with Israel. God used that very same nation that had imprisoned and enslaved his people for 400 years to keep his only son safe from Herod in the promised land. I don't know if when you read that you feel the same as me, but that is mind-blowing to me. Because there are so many things in life that when I have a bad experience with it, I'm ready to toss it out the window. Anybody ever had that? Even people. You have a bad experience with a person, you're like, I'm never talking to them again. We do it as adults. Do you understand? As adults, we, man... We hold grudges way more than kids. My kids have said that about the neighbor kids and then they go back over like 15 minutes later and they're like, yeah, we're gonna go. Like, man, if only adults could do that. <sighs> Why? Because we're all sinners. Nobody's better than anybody else. And yet somehow we think we're like Herod. We, we're all about us. If you, heaven forbid, injure me, I am not talking to you. Did we really expect something different? At this point, people, come on. Did we really expect that, that suffering and, and struggles and strife were the abnormality in life? They're not. And here, you want to talk about a struggle. Look at this. This is God's own people. Look at Hosea. Somebody have uh, look up Hosea 11.1 1 for me and read it. Hosea 11.1. 1. Okay, 
Hosea 11.1, 1, those are the words of Hosea 11.1. 1. Listen to this. <laughs> so he took and he rose with his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt I called my son. And if you're interested in looking at that phrase, my son, that, my, that phrase, my son, shows up a bunch too in the New Testament. When Jesus get baptized, what does he say? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. There's no plan B. Because he's the savior. It says, and then Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men. He became furious and he sent and killed all all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region who were two years old and under. Now, did you know this is not the only time that male children from Israel have been killed ages two to three years and younger? It was done in Egypt too. And you remember there was a baby that was rescued from that by Egypt as well? Who was that? Anybody? Moses! And who was he raised by? Pharaoh's daughter. If you, okay, again, if you didn't think that God was in control of everything, the Egyptians are slaughtering Israelite children two years and under. Miriam takes the baby, puts it in the river, sends it down the river. Who in the world picks it up? Not some random bystander, not some other Israelite. Pharaoh's own daughter. And then he's raised in the palace for the rest of his life right under Pharaoh's nose. I, you can't make this stuff up. You can't do it. Only God, only God could do this. Okay, and it said, in the region two years and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Okay, so here we're gonna check Jeremiah's worth. Somebody read Jeremiah 31, 15. Jeremiah 31, 15. I'm sorry, did you read Jeremiah 31, 15? Because that's what Matthew 2, chapter 16, or chapter, uh, verse 18 says. Oh, wait, they're the same? Well, who would have thought? God is faithful every step of the way. And now you look at this and you go, I don't understand. Why this? Why this prophecy? Because it was the way it was supposed to be. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamenting. Rachel weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted because they are no more. And the very next prophecy, the very next prophecy that's, that's fulfilled in the book of Matthew is Matthew chapter 3. In verse 3, look what it says. It says, for this is he who was spoken about by the prophet Isaiah when he said there's a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. 
There's a voice crying in the wilderness, Rama, she won't be comforted because her children are no more. Then the very next prophecy is there's a voice in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. If you are looking for redemption, it's all over the place in scripture. It's everywhere. From the beginning of Genesis, through the prophets, all the way through Matthew and into Revelation. And it's all the same way. And it's all the same person. And it's all written from the beginning to the end. And there was not one mistake, not one deviation, and not one oops in God's plan. And yet, it's so hard for us to grasp in our day and age that nothing is by mistake, isn't it? We look around and our lives are full of them. We look around our world, our world is full of them. Full of things that don't make sense, full of things that don't add up, full of things that, whoops, that's not the way it was supposed to go. And yet, from Genesis to Revelation, not one time did that take place. Not once. It says, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and he took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that, the, <clears throat> that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in the city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. So Joseph is afraid because somebody's ruling and he goes and the angel says, don't worry, don't go there, go to Nazareth. Why? Because again, it's this thing, prophecy. It shows up every once in a while and it has to be fulfilled. So I'm sorry, I misquoted. It's not the very next prophecy. The very next prophecy after Rachel is that he's a Nazarite. And then the following one is the voice crying in a wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. See, all of it was supposed to happen that way from the very beginning. And it's not just the birth of Christ, but it's everything after that. From him calling the 12 to him dying. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The very thing, the very thing that Adam and Eve did in the garden, they turned their back on God is the very thing that God had to do to his son in order for his son to be the propitiation for our sins. But he's not dead. Three days later, what happens? Oh man, he comes out in such a grand fashion, comes out of the tomb and he is alive and he is well and he is living to this day. You do not serve a dead God. You do not serve an accidental God. You do not serve a God that just sort of happened. You serve the one and only risen savior. It was his son that was born in Bethlehem. It was his son that the wise men worshiped. It was his son that fled to Egypt. And it was his son that returned to Nazareth. 
And there's all kinds of other things that happen, not just in the book of Matthew, but in, in the other accounts in the Gospels and through it. But I, my encouragement to you is read Scripture, all of it, not just the New Testament. There's, there's this idea that's been floating around Christendom for a long time that, that you don't need the Old Testament. To me, that's such a sad idea because the Old Testament, like I said, I find myself constantly going back to the Old Testament. And if you want a fun exercise, um, there's, there's one more passage of scripture I want to read. It's in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, if you have a second, turn there. Verse one, it says, who has believed what we have heard from, what, what he has heard from us and to whom was the arm of the Lord revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he was born, he has borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shears was silent, he opened not his mouth. And I could keep going, but if you want a fun exercise, I did it in my Bible. You can't see it from here, but in the column next to it, I took all the passages of the New Testament that correlate with that chapter of Isaiah 53. And I'm sure my list is not exhaustive, but it's a whole column worth of things that this correlates to in the New Testament. So if you ever want to know whether or not what you're reading in the Old Testament, the God of the Old Testament is the exact same God of the New Testament. It's not different. And the Old Testament is not something that you can, can toss out or is unneeded for who we are in Christ. Because the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Every step of the way. So as we go into this new year, whether or not some of you are in here and you're like, oh no, here comes, the, here comes the resolution talk. I hate resolutions because I never last more than three weeks. Some of you are like, I love resolutions. They're great. They start off my year with a bang. And then by July, I'm done. If we... If we purposed in our lives to follow the Lord as much as we spent time and energy and effort and money on New Year's resolutions that ultimately don't, don't do a whole lot. Now, some of you are like, excuse me, I changed my life because of a New Year's resolution. That's great. Did you know in scripture it says that exercise profits a little, but godliness is useful for the whole person? Sorry. Just saying. <laughs> 
it's good to be healthy, but not just in a physical sense, also in a spiritual sense. So in this new year, I know that there are people that have purposed, my wife did it years ago, to read through the Bible in the entire year, all kinds of things. If we could take this year in 2023 and simply tell the Lord, Lord, allow me to be obedient to you. Even if in my life it seems like it's a, well, that's not how it was supposed to go. Because with the Lord, he understands everything and everything he does is for a purpose and everything is right on time and everything is exactly the way it's supposed to, including everything now, just saying. Everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be and all we need to do is say, Lord, let me be obedient to who you are because you are faithful to your promises from the beginning to the end, and I trust you with my life more than I trust myself. The times in my life when it seems out of control or I don't understand what's going on are the times I often look back on and go, huh, well, who would have thought? That's, that's, I, I, I would not have pictured that going that direction. Whether it's, whether it's things with friends or things with family or my own uh, job or occupation or uh, the place I'm supposed to live, every single time I look at it and I go, I did not plan that. And I'm so glad I didn't. And this holiday season taught me that over and over and over again, that it's not, it's not my, I, get, I make all kinds of plans and they all fall through. I heard that you guys had some excitement here, Christmas uh, Eve service. It was a little dark, a little gloomy, but seemed to be really what was needed. So whoever uh, unfortunately hit a transformer, thank you to the car that did that. But so often, even, even those things, you, you, can, you can plan and you can prepare. And what the Lord does is completely and totally his. And you just have to sit back and go, okay. You, you know better than I do. Because he's the shepherd. He's gonna take care of you. He's the savior. He redeemed you. And I'm done early. Watch out. This is probably not gonna be a habit. <laughs> Don't think that this was the New Year's resolution. It was not like, hey, they're gonna, they're gonna finish early and let us out, you know, the whole time. But let's pray. And uh, there's another song. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you, Lord, you never make a mistake. You never do something accidentally and nothing ever takes you by surprise. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful. You're faithful to who you are and what you said you will do. And we trust you for that. Lord, may we as individuals trust you for that. May we as a congregation trust you for that. And Lord, may we as a nation trust you for that. Because Lord, world powers come and go and yet you remain the same. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that we can take this time of year and we can celebrate the birth of your son. Lord, may we not forget that you are in control and we are to simply obey you. When we love you, we thank you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.